The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, in a time when our nation is filled with unending, seemingly unending cycles of violence, family brokenness, hunger, greed, division, we might be tempted uh, to say that preaching a message of hope is a fool's errand. After all, hope has never been easy to come by, not even in the best of times, how much more in the worst of times. But Luke does help us to locate our hope when he records the words of praise that Elizabeth speaks there in verse number 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Her words teach us about promise and hope as we uh, look back uh, with her into the way that God stepped in and removed her reproach. But they also tell us to look forward and see Mary's son who is going to come and remove the reproach of all who come to him with repentance and faith by bearing their reproach. And it's very important that we get these points connected together. For the story of Elizabeth's barrenness that she had to endure into her old age mirrors that 
of the barrenness of Rachel in the Old Testament, who um, was frustrated about barrenness at a rather young age. The words that Elizabeth speaks there in verse number uh, 25 are in fact the same words that Rachel, who was the wife of the patriarch Jacob, said when she found herself to be with child. You might remember that the competition between her and her sister Leah to bear children was fierce, and Rachel was losing. In fact, up to this point, she was shut out. Zilch. But finally, in God's providence, she would have a son. And in her joy, she praised God as she said, God has taken away my reproach. You know, these are not clever human interest stories, kind of that we read in the Bible to entertain ourselves. They are a look into God's history, God's history of how he is taking action to redeem the world. And as I said last week, and I'll say again this week, they show us that God works through the inability of his people then to bring about his salvation and to bring about hope to the world. It is always through the weakness of humanity because God showed us that when he came as what? A baby. Weak, helpless, born into a world. You know, while it is true that uh, that Elizabeth in her old age would have her reproach removed, in this text, as we bring them together, um, we should remember then that God is going to ask Mary to bear a lifetime of reproach. Now just think about the shift. You have Elizabeth who gets married to Zechariah, expecting to have children. She spends her entire life barren until her old age. Then her reproach is removed. But then you have Mary who at a very young age is not wanting children yet because that would be a reproach. And what does God do? He steps into her life so that she bears a son and then has to endure that reproach for her entire life. This is what is in between the lines of the text of the sermon because hope and promise and reproach are all to be found in the message that Gabriel, the angel of God, gave to Mary that I read from verse 26 to verse 33. It's very important when we read these familiar texts that we look for and see the action that God is taking. That God is the one who is acting on Elizabeth's behalf to remove reproach, while at the same time acting in Mary's life to bring what would appear to be a reproach. Because Mary is going to conceive a child supernaturally. And so once again, we come to this point where God is going to work through the inability and weakness of men. The explanation by the angel as to how Mary is going to conceive the son of the highest is not going to be understood or accepted by her contemporaries 
and churches all over the world today, including our own country, who consider themselves Christian, don't even believe it. It still is considered ridiculous that God would come and overtake Mary's body in such a way to bring forth a child out of Mary's virginity, the son of the Most High born to her. This is the reproach. This is the weakness and inability of people who demand rational answers to their questions, and unless they get them, they're not going to believe. And yet God is going to work through the inability in order to bring forth his son into the world. This is the divine action that we need to see, and if we miss it, uh, we may then miss what it actually means for us to bear the reproach of Jesus as we wait on his return. You see, for the church, the biblical teaching of hope and promise should be at the center of our Advent understanding. Like Rachel, Elizabeth, and Mary, the church also lives between hope and promise. Our sins forgiven, the resurrected Christ coming again. And here we are in the midst of that bearing the reproach of Christ because we too will be largely rejected as we proclaim that salvation comes through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Through the virgin-born Son of Mary, God brought salvation. And that is the message that the church has to continue to preach even though it is largely rejected. But Israel's rejection of Jesus and the ongoing rejection of Jesus by humanity will not keep God from completing his promises. The earth will indeed be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God will not be put off by disinterest or unbelief or outright rebellion of people. Maybe they're still down the road, not for sure, uh, but on my way to St. James, a small crowd was gathering around a telephone pole, taking a picture of a bird. That's what enthusiasts do. And if you're one of those, God bless your enthusiasms. I, I, I appreciate your pictures online. Just don't get in the road. I'm driving. But, um, be as that may, um, people are distracted and disinterested more interested in standing out on the cold taking a picture of a bird than they are in coming into the warmth of God's house and his family to learn about the reality of Jesus Christ. People are spending all kinds of money to do all kinds of things this morning. But God will not be put off. God will not slow down his work. God will not be put off by the disordered love affairs of this world. For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. See, Mary's response of surrender to this news then presents a challenge for the church, and it must be said 
that a significant part of our vocation as a church is to bear the reproach of Jesus. And we must say that, and we must continue to say that, lest we forget. For those of us who are, uh, you know, historians of the missionary, the great missionary age that, you know, began in the early 18th century and ran a strong course for about 300 years, our Savior's reproach was born by men and women and children who gave up lives of ease and comfort uh, among their family and their friends, and they went to far-off, distant lands to die on foreign fields of service for Jesus. In many cases, mocked and laughed at by family members or workmates or friends. What are you going to do? You're giving up this to go do what? They'll hear eventually. You don't need, you know. And they bore the reproach not only in their witness, but in their going. They bore the reproach of Jesus. They went to places where the darkness was great and the good news of the gospel had not yet been heard. They gave their lives to service for God as they bore the reproach of Jesus. But now, but now in the 21st century, the darkness of those continents has recoiled onto the continents of the West, Europe and, and America the places from which those missionaries were sent. And for us to bear the reproach of Jesus looks a lot different than, the, than it did previously. But unless we are willing to bear it as the saints of old who then gave their lives to open up continents to the gospel, and when they did this, they received the fruit of their labor if we are unwilling to bear the reproach of Jesus. It might mean then that we don't get to see the fruit of precious souls from tribes and tongues and nations or hamlets and villages and small towns and counties coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I emphasize this because it is inherent to the text. Mary's son, Jesus, is given by God, by the Lord God, to sit on the throne of his father David, and it will be from, and it is from that high and exalted throne that Jesus rules over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The people in this hamlet in large measure, the people in the village of Fort Edward in large measure, and the people where you live in large measure refuse to bow their knee to this king who will rule forever and ever who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And it is a highly reproachable thing for us to say to them that unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you will spend all eternity away from God in hell. And they say, well, who do you think you are? And perhaps the biggest reproach we have to bear today is to say that there is a single Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. To get to peace and joy and love and life and all of that is not an a la carte menu by which you pick and choose your way. And at a time in which we live when people simply cannot stand to hear the authority of the church say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. The church has to find its footing and like Mary, surrender 
and say, yes, be it unto me according to your word and be willing to bear that reproach as we live between the hope and the promise of God's grace. You know, the church rightly holds Mary in high regard as an example of what it means to surrender to God. And we must always be reminded when we come to this text that her surrender was concrete, not theoretically. It was concrete, not theoretically. She actually conceived a human baby who was fully divine in her womb. It is not a neutral thing to be pregnant. It is a concrete thing. And I, and I bring this up because her surrender was rooted in a desire to be obedient to the word that the angel gave to her from God. And we, we have to again remember that every area of Mary's life is going to be impacted by this news. Even her relationship and her espoused uh, relationship to Joseph, we're told in Matthew, right, he's going to put her away. He's going to provide for her because of the shame that this would bring. And then an angel comes to Joseph and remember what the angel says? No, don't do that. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It is of God. And Joseph joined that and bore that reproach as well. Every area of Mary's life impacted and yet still willing. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Durkee Town, what does surrender to Christ in concrete terms mean for us right now today? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you, wherever you are in your station of life, where you live, your family, your, your concerns? What does concrete surrender to bearing the reproach of Christ look like for us? Now, I, I think for all of us, for all of us, it must mean a life of rather mundane faithfulness to God. There, there may be high moments, but most of the time it is daily faithfulness to God by which we are trusting our lives into his care, believing his word, what his word says to us, let it be according to me. Let it be according to your word for me. Faithfulness that flows from a life that is shaped and formed by the word of God. You see, reproach will come as we choose to live faithfully to God. This much is made clear in the scripture. It was the ongoing faithfulness of God's people through which the reproach came. And as that reproach came, they just continued to live faithfully to their Lord. And you know, often what we find is that it is not in the hardship. Our joy isn't stolen away in the hardship, but very often it's on the waiting. The waiting for God to fulfill His promise. You know, we have this great hope, right, of God's salvation uh, won for us in the death of Christ for forgiveness of sins, raised up with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. But then we have this promise, right, of the Lord's return. And here we are waiting. Waiting's a really hard thing. And waiting has a way to steal joy 
Not today? You mean not today? You mean not today, Lord? You know, and how many of us have waited and waited and said, Lord, not today? But, but you know what? If we think again about the people presented, that Elizabeth endured this through her life, and Mary did as well, but both ended up with joy. As Elizabeth answered to her long prayers, but Mary's joy looked a little different, didn't it? And we're going to see that again in her song that we'll look at next week. Her song, her soul rejoices in the Lord. You know, let us not think for even a moment, let us not think for even a moment that bearing the reproach of Christ is going to diminish or undo our joy. The enduring testimony of the faithful church is one of joy because it is the testimony of her Lord. You know, every now and then I will use a paraphrase with a familiar passage to kind of help us see it a little bit new and, you know, always go back and, and, and read the, the translated in your Bible. But this particular paraphrase of a familiar text was very helpful. And I want to offer it to us as a way to say, don't think that, in, that waiting and bearing reproach is going to automatically steal your joy. But instead, keep your eyes on Jesus. We're going to put it up on the screen. Read it with me, would you please? Is it there? And I'm just not seeing it. Is it there? Oh, very good. All right, there you go. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Read it with me. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we are in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. As we wait for the return of the Lord's Christ, we should be encouraging one another to go over the story again and again, item by item, because that is what brings life and hope, joy and peace into our souls. Zeb Nye will meet you at the coffee bar afterwards. You can grab your hot chocolate or your coffee or your tea. Sit down with somebody and say, give me a little bit of adrenaline this morning. Now let it be the caffeine. Item by item, line by line, reminding ourselves that although we may bear the reproach of Christ, we have the hope and promise of new life in him and God will indeed keep his promises so I want to do that for us this morning I want I, I pack together some truths in, in, into this 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 like um, well I don't know into this thing I did these 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 affirmations and responses I'm gonna read an affirmation of our faith and then I'm gonna ask you to respond to it your response will be hopefully in bold print and then um, I would encourage you 
uh, to think about these things um, throughout the week. I, I, I don't have multiple copies of it, but if you want a copy of it, I'd be glad to make you one. Because we need to remember the promises. They fuel our hope so that as we bear the reproach, we don't lose joy. Here's the first affirmation. Because we live in between the great victory of God through the anointing death of Jesus and the life-giving resurrection of Jesus and the victory of God and the return of Jesus, by God's grace then, read with me, let us straighten up and raise our heads because our redemption is drawing near. Second, because God has broken through the darkness of death and is bringing his kingdom to all its fullness, by God's grace then, let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Third, because our redemption is bound up in God's judgment, by God's grace then, let us go and meet Jesus outside the camp and bear his reproach as we seek the city that is to come. And fourth, because a dark, soul-damning power holds people in unbelief, by God's grace then, let us honor Christ the Lord as holy and be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us. Last week I quoted the missionary Leslie Newbegin, who is with the Lord. His, his writings are just so powerful, so encouraging, so helpful. We'll put the quote up on the screen so you can see it. Maybe track with me. He wrote this, we do not merely speak about an unknown day, and he's talking there about the Lord's return, about an unknown day in the future. We speak about a known person who has already come, in whom Advent has begun. We speak about a new world whose powers are already at work in our own experience. We do not have abstractions in our mind when we think about the return of Jesus, some theoretical thing. It would be theoretical if it was not first concretely laid in Jesus, the foundation. But God, in fact, did come born of the Virgin Mary. And he lived a perfect life, and he died a sinner's death, and he was raised in a physical body. He was ascended and went into his Father's presence in a physical, glorified, resurrected body. And from there, he will return in a physical, resurrected, glorified human body to rule and reign for all eternity. And when he does, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The man Christ Jesus, who has already come once, is coming again. The sheep and the goats will be separated. The wheat and the tares will be pulled apart by King Jesus. And just as our redemption will be revealed to be gloriously rooted in Jesus, his judgment will reveal that those who are without saving faith in him will have no roots. And as lost souls, they will wander aimlessly in eternal darkness and they will for all eternity bear the reproach of their own unbelief 
Where are you today with God? Where are you today with God? I must ask, have you surrendered yourself to God? Have you by faith trusted in Jesus as the one who removes the reproach of sin in your life? Because he bore the reproach of your sin. And although there appears to be little hope left out there, it behooves the church, and I love that word behooves, it behooves the church to look to Jesus for our hope. Yes, there is hope. It is found in the promise that the child born to Mary is indeed the Savior of the world, Savior of all who would come to him. And so I invite you to come to him today. Whether you are a Christian in need of renewal and revival or whether you've never received the Lord's Christ as your own Savior, would you consider coming to Him? I invite you into His life so that the promise and the hope that He offers becomes yours. Amen. Father, um, I, offer, I offer this to you and to your people and trust again that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would use it to bring about faith and obedience and hope and the promise of your return. And now, Father, we'll pause for some quietness as we consider this word and prepare ourselves to come unto your table, the table of the Lord. You pray out to God as we spend a few moments of quietness seeking God's face. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.